Hey everybody, welcome to Applying to Everything, a show about our passions, the world, and where they overlap. I'm your host, Bruno Falcon. I want to start by apologizing for the lack of episodes over the last two weeks. Between a sinus infection, changing jobs, some major personal transitions, and some technical difficulties, I wouldn't have been able to put out a show that I could have been proud of and keep up with future episodes. Things are still in flux, but we should be back on track moving forward, and I'll do my best to let you guys know when there will be breaks in the schedule down the road. This week, I sit down with screenwriter and literal superhero Eric Glover to talk about Superman, bringing stories back to basics, social justice, and the future of superheroes, starting with the new Spider-Man. Enjoy! I thought it was a delight. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I didn't. At some at some point, I feel like someone in the Marvel Studios boardroom just went, "We just we want everyone to have a good time, okay?" And then that became <laughs> the formula. <laughs> they didn't really demand much of me with this movie, but it was very entertaining. I laughed a lot. What I thought was really impressive was that they. Uh... They only took five minutes to lay out the villain, yeah. which was which was awesome. Like, oh, wait, no, you can spend five minutes at the very beginning of the movie using very simple strategies that have existed in storytelling literally forever and give us a character. And we know we know his motivation. We know where he comes from. We know why he has the resources he has. And that's all you need to know. And because they gave us so little the the reveal like the the aha moment yeah. the the twist was that much better sure like i don't usually get i don't usually get hooked by movies that way and <laughs> i did not see i didn't see it coming yeah no it me neither really well done not not even a little bit yeah they they did have some deaf storytelling going on right there i i think when he opens the door mm-hmm. so, uh i i was still not on on board i was like no this just means that he is at the house because he's figured out Peter's identity and he's going to threaten the woman he loves. Like, I still wasn't putting it together. Yeah. But uh, they, they went further. Yeah. It's cool. Well, like, this is what happens when you when you give it a little less, right? Because if you don't give me the whole backstory, you can keep one part of the story at arm's length from the other yeah, right. until you actually right. bring them together, until it, until it works for the plot, sure. as opposed to all of the other Iron Man movies. And even all of, like, the, the early Spider-Man movies you get the whole there's monologuing on monologuing and you know i think the only the my biggest problem was michael keaton for some in the early part of the movie while i was still getting into it michael keaton's character was a little bit too close to his cameo on 30 rock oh i hadn't seen that cameo so he does a cameo on 30 rock uh where the whole the whole episode is like it's my last day I'm retiring can't wait to go this is this is the one I'm gonna go spend my life with the woman I love and it's gonna be, and it's like I do it for my family you know it's all about my family just got to do it and I'm like oh no oh I, it's a little bit too close to sure. it's a little bit too close to that yeah too close to the parody of a character that we've seen <laughs> exactly <laughs> we're supposed to take it seriously in this movie I get it I mean it was well done it was yeah well yeah done. it was it's the total Marvel package just and just a delightful time. With like Civil War, I felt like there was a, like a little more meat on its bones, mm-hmm. but it was still flashy and fun, and that seems to be the heart and the core of like their strategy with this stuff. It was fun. Tom Holland's charming. Everything was just bright and frothy. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. Yeah, I hope they start doing more of this. Like I like their do more with less. Give yeah. me give me clean storytelling <laughs> rather than you know don't hammer me with it. Spider-Man was basically the opposite of Doctor Strange, which was just like, this is massive. Look at all oh, yeah. of the CGI. We're we're just going to throw everything at you. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch is speaking in a weird accent. What is that? Like, there were twists in that movie that I didn't get, but that was because I couldn't follow any of the plot. And, like, I'm an intelligent guy who watches a lot of movies. Like, storytelling is a part of what I do. And I'm like, okay, wait, wait. So, but he, there's an alternate dimension, and she... She siphons energy from the yeah, ultimate yeah. dimension. Right. But, like, there's this moral gray. What? <laughs> and his hands. Why? 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 Wait, which. Where? What? But what villain? Um, I remember that your nickname in high school was Superman. <laughs> um, which is. 
I think kind of unfair because Superman, on, in a lot of ways, is the most boring. Is the most boring of all of the superheroes. Um, Ouch, my heart. <laughs> I mean, look, that's, which isn't to say that Superman is is Superman's great. Like when you get into the whole Jungian thing of like, <laughs> is is Superman the mask? Is Clark Kent the mask? Yeah. Is Superman the mask on top of another mask? <laughs> Who is Kal El? Like, okay, cool, but. Uh, but I mean, like on the surface level, I feel like Batman, at, like in the DC universe, Batman has like dead parents, and it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, cool, all right, and I guess, man, did, do all of the superheroes in the DC universe have dead parents? It's a legit question. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you were your nickname was Superman in high school. Yeah. Um, I never knew, like, I didn't know where the origin of that was. I when I when we met, I knew you as oh yeah. Superman. There's this kid named who everybody calls Superman is Eric. He's a really cool dude. Oh, thanks. Man. Um, but but you know how did that come about? Was it tied into like your your you know was it already tied into your love of superheroes? You know I didn't like Superman for a long time. I too found him boring until about eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Some friends of mine at a day camp I was going to, a boys and girls club, were really into Spawn and really into Superman. And they would debate in front of me about which of those heroes would win in a fight. Sure. And uh, I was fascinated. I was pretty much a passenger uh, while the two of them took turns at the wheel. But I became really intrigued and involved. And suddenly, I I don't know, I found myself relating to a character that um, seemed to espouse all of my values. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. hadn't really picked up on it during like the age of Lois and Clark television series or the Superman animated series. I missed all that. And um, I just found his compassion to be overwhelmingly inspiring. Right. So by the time you met me, I had been reading comics for only a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I happened to have come into comics when a great writer named Joe Kelly... Um, had taken a run on Action Comics, the longest-running Superman comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, longest-running comic book, maybe? Period? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Spun Tales of Superman uh, that really focused less on his physical challenges and more on his moral ones. And uh, it's not easy to do with that character, making him interesting. Mm-hmm. What you've said about him being boring is actually... Um, a really fair point because I think a lot of writers don't know how to handle a character that powerful. When you met me, I was so passionate about the character because people like Joe, Joe Kelly had recognized that Superman has a heart that makes him more humane and human than many people who are born into mm-hmm. <laughs> being part of mankind. And he would just strive to do the right thing in impossible situations that really just killed me in a good way. Mm-hmm. So from there on out, I had already been I'd been a fan of Batman, I'd been a fan of Spider-Man, but I had really begun to appreciate like, learning from this character in a way that I hadn't with others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I suppose I made one or two too many superhero or Superman <laughs> references by the time you met me, and that's how the nickname stuck. So, yeah, that's well, how I got into it. The moral end of Superman is complicated in a way that I think a lot of people don't think about as much like it's it's easy to say well the point of superman is he does like he just does good like superman is just a is just the good guy like the quintessential good guy but that discounts the balance of having that much power and allowing people to determine their own lives and having that much power and knowing when to stay on stay inside of the bounds of of the rules that you could very easily break superman's been getting a bad rap in the last decade because we entered the realm of the anti-hero like the whole the Dark Knight period, Iron Man, which are all fascinating. They're, it's a fascinating deepening of superheroes in the public eye. It's like you're adding these layers, making them multidimensional in a way that film hadn't. But how do you feel that we can move forward with, especially a character like Superman? When when I think of bad moments in Superman, I think of what is it, The Amazing Superman? That was the second one in the reboot series. Where Zod, which was uh, whichever, I can't remember which one Zod shows up in, but we have that moment where the DC Cinematic Universe steps away from the true North moral compass, and it just kind of breaks the character. That's right. How do we move forward in the age of the antihero, and how do you keep Superman relevant without breaking the rules that made him great in the first place? Super good question. I've been wrestling with that for a while. 
what you said earlier about Superman being the guy who does good no matter what, it's it's a tough not to crack storytelling wise. You want to have that savior character who doesn't feel like Jesus. You want mm-hmm. him to feel challenged with what's put in front of him uh, and to still make the right choice, but perhaps do it in creative, uh, non-straightforward ways. Sure. And also without killing. It's really tough, man. I struggled with Man of Steel, uh, the, the moment you're referring to. Thank Zod. You. Yeah. I really, really struggled with it. I thought that movie uh, did a lot of great innovative stuff with the character. I loved the Krypton sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved putting Superman in a more modern context than Superman Returns was able to. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I mean, we, we have a really big moment as a departure from the more traditional interpretation of Superman. I audibly muttered, uh, when I saw saw Superman make his final choice. And what had thrilled me about that Joe Kelly run in Action Comics that I brought up was that Superman was often put in situations where he seemingly had no choice but to kill his opponent Mm -hmm. or or no choice but to let go of his morals, at least temporarily, to take care of a threat. uh, And then, I don't know, try to get back to being the guy that uh, he wants to be ideally. But on this run, he always, always managed to stick to the ideals of compassion over, over contempt or a loss of patience uh, and, and save the day without killing people. Mm-hmm. It just moves me to this day. It's been well over a decade mm-hmm. uh, that the character was portrayed that way in those comic books. So when I saw Men of Steel, I honestly thought it was a very lazy way to make the character interesting. And a lazy way to uh, show him dealing with the challenge. I mean, because he's so powerful, I feel like he typically has more options uh, than a human being would who has nothing else to do but fire that weapon when their back is against the wall. Right. When you have a man like this, even though he's fighting essentially another god in that movie, he has an arsenal of, of superpowers He's extremely intelligent in terms of uh, at least what I've learned from the comics. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't wait to see how he would get out of a situation like the one he was in, right. in Man of Steel, uh, without resorting to extinguishing a life. I think what you need to do with Superman is put him in situations where he has like that, that trolley problem, right? Like, okay, if I... If I pull this lever, like uh, five people will die or one person will die. What do I do? And then he saves all fucking everyone that's involved in the situation because he's goddamn Superman. Yeah. And he came up with a new solution. Yeah. Really cool. Spider-Man 1. Tobey Maguire is on the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, he has to choose between Mary Jane and uh, a bunch of kids in a trolley. It is a very, very hokey situation, but it's, it's also kind of compelling. It's like, oh, well, what, what do you do? Uh, in order to make sure that every life possible is saved. And right. Peter comes up with a creative way to make that happen. Mm-hmm. If anyone were more qualified to make a choice like that, I think it would be Superman. So uh, I, I'd like to see him fulfill that role a little bit more often, but uh, so far I haven't seen anyone even try. Do you think that part of it was like bad luck on the draw? Like at the time like at the time that Man of Steel came out, audiences were so thoroughly taken with the idea of the anti-hero, with the idea of embracing the flaws in our hero figures, which I think we've started to take a step back from. We're, we're willing to embrace the idealism a little bit more. I'm so excited about the new Black Panther movie. Oh, like I'm so, it looks so yes. good. And, and they're very different characters, but I think we're pointing towards something more hopeful because it doesn't even take a strong writer to look at that scene and say like, why doesn't Superman just like blow out the floor? <laughs> I get that Zod is strong, but Zod is not stronger than the gravitational force of the planet is capable of pulling everyone down in an instant. Like, how much do you think that audiences at the time just weren't ready for, or were more more to the point, audiences at the time were hungry for a broken Superman? Yeah, uh, that's a that's a good question. So. Superman Returns happened. It was maybe 2006. Yeah. I think that movie got a bit of a rep for being a little boring. Mm-hmm. Um, not really advancing Superman. He was still kind of this cookie cutter character that we'd seen in the 1970s films. And I, I, I like those films. I like the, the first one a lot. Yeah. Even though the <laughs> that whole uh, flying around the planet thing is uh, hilarious in this. <laughs> um, but that was... Uh, 
you know what I, I said before earlier that it was not that no one's tried to put him in situations that are impossible in that first movie two missiles are going in two separate directions in act three and superman has to figure out a way to save the entire planet save lois and the world right mm-hmm. so <laughs> they he, cheated he, on the way out of he that gets there. Right, yeah. right but it was it was cool they put him in an impossible situation the character didn't advance very much uh, in the 2006 movie mm-hmm. he's still kind of just like this straight-laced guy we didn't even really see him morally challenged that much. He's just he's just a good guy, right? Let's say everyone thought most people believe Superman Returns is boring, and like we needed a character who's going to maybe be more tortured to be more interesting, especially given how well the Dark Knight movies have been doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, those are really successful films, and it's easy to say like, hey, like this character is tortured. That's what makes him compelling. So I think you're you're on the ball to think like, okay, like why wouldn't DC or why wouldn't Zack Snyder have thought, hey, we, we know what works for us. Why don't we try this with Superman? I actually don't mind Superman brooding a bit because given who he is and his responsibilities to the world, I, I'd actually think it'd be unrealistic or impossible not to brood over mm-hmm. the kind of ridiculous moral choices he has to make. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> to save as many people as he can uh, at all times. Um, I think that's really interesting and a really great direction to go. Um, however, that only works to an extent. Uh, we like Batman uh, because the core of what he is has to do with pain. Mm-hmm. When you think about the core of Superman, like why has he endured for so long? Why since 1938? Has he been around? Right. Maybe not always the most popular character, but certainly kind of a paragon of superheroes when we sure. think of superheroes, right? Why has he endured? You got to tap into that. I can't think of anything but hope. Yeah. Anything but compassion being at the root of what makes that character appealing. So uh, even though it, it may be true that most of us had been teed up by things like the Dark Knight or you know, the Punisher or whatever... Um, to feel that uh, a darker superhero or darker Superman was interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd argue we probably didn't know exactly what we wanted if we thought that 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 (laughs) formula needed to be applied to this character to make him interesting. Um, Push this character to his limits. Make him question his morals. Make him question everything about himself, whether he's being effective. That's fine. That's great. Mm -hmm. That does make me sit up in my seat. I don't think you need to throw out the baby with the bathwater, though. Mm-hmm. Next snapping Superman is not a Superman that resonated with a lot of us. And I think if we had really been paying attention, uh, we all could have seen how badly that would go over if yeah. we were told beforehand what Zack Snyder was planning to do. Mm-hmm. How much do you bring that kind of character writing into your own work? When you think about building out a character, and I mean, not all, not all characters are superheroes. In fact, most characters are not. How much do you how much do you start with fleshing out that moral code or, or or fleshing out that groundwork or you know do you come in with an idea of like this is a thing this person does and then we'll figure out why that's a really good question man uh, and it's super important to me because uh, I've been trying to write characters with opposing moral codes in order to make my stories interesting most mm-hmm. recently and um, To answer your question more directly, I definitely prioritize uh, what someone is willing to do ethically at the start of my stories. Um, I am writing about the Black Panthers right now, um, and I think you just start off in an interesting place with that because you have a group of people whose foundation was self-defense, and that, that meant shooting people if they had to. Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't go around attacking cops. But that was, uh, that was an interesting story to dive into because I, I'm not personally a fan of guns, but I didn't live in 1967. And I, uh, it's not that much has changed in, in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. um, I, I would argue that uh, I, I have a bit more of a comfortable life than black folks in Oakland in 1966 or seven. Um, so I, I've been trying to get into like what would make someone pick up a gun and it hasn't taken 
that much effort just looking at my fucking news feed <laughs> yeah. feeling all the the rage and sadness i do um it hasn't it hasn't been that hard um it's gotten easier to get into the heads of people like uh huey p newton and and bobby seal uh who aren't you know gun toting to gun tote but um definitely thought there was a moral imperative and a dignity um, and, and being willing to defend oneself at all costs. Right. Um, so that, that was super important to just typing on page one, like what these characters acted like, uh, how they'd felt. I wrote a sci-fi film, um, before this about, uh, a woman who was put in a pretty shitty ethical situation about having to either save herself or, or a crew member. And, um, the the movie could not exist without me knowing from the beginning uh, what kind of person she was right. and and what she'd be willing to do to protect herself, how far she'd go. I would have had nothing if I didn't decide for myself. Like, uh, you know what? She 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 goes to this end of the spectrum, and that's where the the drama comes from. I, I would have been lost if I was um, trying to come up with plot first, right? For sure. So when you're writing those characters at opposing ends. How much do you find that they're like putting characters in moral opposition, especially like, I don't know how often you put characters in moral opposition with similar goals, like how much of that helps you evolve the characters as they move forward. And when you're watching their moral codes evolve, how does that affect you as you're writing them? Like good storytelling means putting yourself on the page. So how does that work? Yeah, man. Um, with Huey and Bobby in this, in this latest script, uh, they do have the same goal. And they have different ways of going about it. Um, and that, that has certainly informed how I feel about self-defense and violence, researching that stuff, for sure. I think when I start off writing stories in general, I try to decide what I want to say that is like kind of on a meta level. Mm-hmm. It usually has to do uh, with being better to each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really important to me. And when I investigate characters who believe what I do or do not, um, it, it really does become a conversation with myself. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to check what morals I've been taking for granted that everyone else feels mm-hmm. um, versus how I feel. And I, I have to I have to really, really articulate to myself why I feel strongly. Um, about uh, my my certain my particular methods mm-hmm. of being compassionate towards other people, like politically or or, uh, or otherwise. Um, so articulating the the values of those characters, I, I think it's safe to say it sharpens my own as I go. Uh, it, it's hard work, but oh, I yeah, think it creates sure. better stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a both tough and extremely fruitful time to be writing about. Um, about personal morality and especially on like when you're talking about superheroes, you can't not talk about uh, social justice and change. Like the, the like Superman is a great example, but we've already touched on black Panther and, and, and then thinking about ways DC comics has kind of surprised all of us by doing something. Well, wonder woman, it, it feels kind of striking that right now in, in the United States in this time of massive social shifts, um, superheroes have gone through this evolutionary arc and and entered into the zeitgeist in a really big way, in a way that they hadn't before, and then evolved in front of us, like gone from gone from these sort of comic booky one dimensional versions of their mm-hmm. of the actual comic book stories into these massive powerhouses of multi dimensional crisis yeah. happening on screen yeah. for everybody. Where do you feel like we can take it next? I mean, I feel like because I like for, from my point. <laughs> I feel like we're finally like with, with wonder woman doing a lot of things, doing a lot of the same things differently. And with black Panther, you know, entering into entering into an age of, okay, superheroes are about being multicultural Mm -hmm. and about being and about representing everyone in one way or another, that there's a, there's a superhero structure that fits what you see in the mirror, no matter what that is. Um, no matter who you are, there's someone out there fighting the good fight that looks like you, yeah. that sounds like you. 
while at the same time we're running into this massive pushback from certain like parts of parts of our culture who mm. are really used to being the only face on screen. <laughs> yeah, we're sure. really used to being the only voice in the room, pushing back not just not just on social media, not just in politics, but sort of across the board. Mm. How can we use this energy and leverage this energy in our creative processes and and in our broader conversations on in in our broader conversations to move the ball forward? Sure. One thing I really liked about Wonder Woman, uh, it's probably the best thing I, I liked about Wonder Woman. God, it was the best. It was the best. It was amazing. I, I came out exhilarated about this one thing. Um, she was appalled by a lack of compassion. She was just horrified at the idea that men could treat each other uh, this way outside of Themyscira. I had gotten quite used to seeing Wonder Woman in the comics be a woman who already knew everything there was to know. Uh, she'd been in this biz for a while. Mm-hmm. The joy of watching her origin story was seeing her having to adjust with several growing pains mm-hmm. to the idea that cruelty had been normalized. She she fucking hated it. There was something so, so touching about that that it it was a reminder that I didn't have to take for granted that other heroes necessarily needed to accept cruelty uh, as, as normal too. You know, perhaps in Wonder Woman 2, she'll be more used to humanity. We won't see that same naive side of her. But I, I thought that was just, it was just a great reminder um, about how we can touch people using superheroes. Um, that movie wasn't just about spectacle to me. That wasn't where it was most valuable. She happens to be a woman this time. That added another element, of course, of like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. uh, sexism, fuck you. Um, but it, if it had been a, a guy, even, I, I just would have been really impressed with that script for just showing us that compassion isn't isn't something that has to be this faraway concept. That, uh, it, cruelty doesn't have to be normal. I, I was just, I was so moved by that. And on top of that, it's this fucking badass woman. Great, great. I think uh, Black Panther, Wonder Woman, on just that gut surface level seeing a new kind of person on screen mm-hmm. i think we're gonna find that there is uh more and more hunger for that mm-hmm. uh black panther's trailer is the th- third highest viewed marvel film trailer i think like in history yeah um it might even be third highest disney in history um which says a lot right yeah, yeah. um so like just the nature of, of seeing something like that on screen and taken seriously is so much fun. I've watched that trailer probably upwards of 20 times, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that's exhilarating. And I think it's exhilarating not just for me, but for white folks. Every All my white friends are like, holy shit. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is, I, I'm enjoying this with someone that is not necessarily directly affected. Yeah, I'm... Um, uh, were you going to say something? I'm really... No, no, no. I'm, well, I was going to... So, it, this is what this is what both exhilarates me and disappoints me about white nerds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is it, it's it's as you know as someone who like my favorite part of episode seven was that it wasn't about the Skywalkers, um, like it was because it always is just because Star Wars. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> like we get it, George Lucas. You're you want to be a Skywalker. We, we like we you you. You did us all over, but um, what I love about what I love about nerds uh, is their desire to be to experience something else. Um, one of the coolest things. So I'm a huge fan of uh, tabletop podcasts, uh, The Adventure Zone, um, Friends at the Table, One Shot Campaign, where these really phenomenal people get together and play tabletop games. But what is awesome and what is consistently awesome setting aside that they play, they play to uncomfortable places. They play to the highest intelligence. Mm -hmm. They push their moral codes and live in the characters. They also intentionally choose characters that push their experiential space. Um, Like some of the best character work I've seen and watched and watch these actors evolve as they do this over years is like, you know, playing a different gender, playing a different sexual orientation, yeah. even even just playing a different, like playing to a different, you know, mystical race. Cool. Like you're playing a dwarf and you like, <laughs> you have to say like, okay, what is that like? Yeah. You know, and and so 
one of the really cool things about nerd culture is the push to experience all of that and try and internalize it, try and like take on that viewpoint, which, you know, I'll never know what it's like to live in someone else's shoes, but through these Mm -hmm. storytelling tools, I can, I can push myself there. It builds compassion. It builds this relationship. What I hate about nerds (laughs) is that we are so, and like, I think it's, it's sort of once something is canon, it's, like we're locked into yeah, it. There right. is no flexibility. Right. And like it's it's that's where you get the backlash. Like that's where you get the backlash on Star Wars. Yeah, like right. why you can't have a black stormtrooper. Yeah. What what are you doing? It's like, well <laughs> you have a you have a problem with a black stormtrooper, but you're totally cool with a HUD. <laughs> like sure. existing. You're cool yeah. with the existence of a slug person. Yeah, right. A literal <laughs> slug person who was a crime lord who has bodyguards who are pig people. <laughs> Um, literal pig people, but a black guy can't be a stormtrooper, yeah. let alone pick up a lightsaber. I'm sorry. Um, so like it's, it's this, uh, I, but what's exciting about that is that you have this capacity inside of these fandoms to really embody social commentary in a way that people can get behind yeah. and really dig into, um, it's just so cool. Yeah. My favorite part, and I'm, I'm talking more than I more than I want to, but my favorite part of Wonder Woman was the trench scene. Oh, yeah. Like, just because, like, Come like on. there are so many possibilities <laughs> for cheesy, stupid, like, yeah. lo- one-off lines. But, at that, like, at that point, the they've already got our trust enough. She's already got their trust enough. And she's just like, no, this is wrong. I'm doing that. Goodbye. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no, nobody tries to convince her of anything. Nobody tries yeah. to, like, nobody, there's, it's just like, no, this is a thing that I'm doing because I am this force of nature and I'm going to go do it. Yeah, sure. Um, totally, man. Um, yeah, I, I just can't. I can't stress enough that movie works in a lot of ways because it's about something regardless of whether Wonder Woman is a dude or not. And on top of it, it's a woman. So we're just, we've got so much to play with there, right? Mm -hmm. Like if Black Panther is fucking about something and has a black character and like 90% of the cast is black, we're onto something, dude. That's probably, uh, to answer your question from uh, a little while ago now, um, that's probably how I would, I'd like to see things move forward. Um, I want to have a good time. It, it'll be serviceable and fun. Oh, sure. If Black Panther is just another superhero movie, that'd be, that'd be great. But if these movies have the balls to show us like something inspiring or new, uh, ethically challenging, philosophically challenging about this character in Black Panther and it happens to start Chadwick Boseman, we're, we're on a really good path that I think could like chart a new course boldly for these characters existing uh, alongside their, their white counterparts. Um, and I, I, I'd be really excited for an age of that kind of thing coming on. Well, and my hope is, I mean, one of, I think from on the industry side, the really phenomenal thing about wonder woman is the crew like the, the whole back end mm-hmm. is uh is driven by this female core that, and that i think big producers can't ignore that big studios can't ignore that alternative viewpoints bring in better film and better film bring in more ticket sales um like my what i hope comes out of wonder woman and, and black panther and it is that like you get a better cast for the live action Aladdin. Mm-hmm. You get a better mm-hmm. a better writing team. Mm-hmm. A more even if it's not like better is so subjective. A more diverse writing team. Sure. Yeah. You know, and and I think what I hope what uh, what studios and and directors are starting to take on is that if you bring a diversity of opinions, the film's going to feel more real. Yeah. Your characters are going to have more depth. Yeah. You know, part of the problem with Iron like the problem with the first. My biggest problem with the first Iron Man film, having having watched it again recently, was that it just felt, it like, yeah, sure, it it was doing an interesting thing at the time, but it was still creating this parody of what it was to be Middle Eastern in the early two thousands, and that if you just have if you have if you have a diversity of voices in the writers' room. Yeah. No matter no matter what the film's about, you'll have voices who say, "Maybe we don't have to do that that mm-hmm. way. Maybe we don't have. Maybe we can play to a higher intelligence, and that the more we do that, the better our films are going to be, and the more engaging they're going to be." Yeah, um, um, that is fair enough. I walked into that movie in two thousand eight, 
having seen the trailers multiple times because I'm a junkie, mm-hmm. um, and knowing that they were going to be quote unquote updating the story from I think uh, a Vietnam based origin to one that takes place in Afghanistan or somewhere in the Middle East. So I, I was walking in weary, and uh, the only scene that um, kind of cushioned the blow of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'll remember, Iron Man goes back to the Ten Rings, or I forget the name of the organization. Mm-hmm. They, they've taken over a town, uh, and the terrorists at one point are holding a few people at gunpoint. And and that was the first time in the movie where I thought the film was asking us to differentiate between the people who are Middle Eastern and people who are terrorists. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was like, okay, like there's a Middle Eastern community of people. And then on top of that, there there are people who are willing to harm others who look like them. Right. Um, that was the only scene that made me walk out of that movie feeling a little more comfortable than I had walking in. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, of course, I, I totally understand why you why you may have still felt frustrated looking back on it. Perhaps it hasn't aged very well. Um, but yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. That was my concern walking into the movie too. And I mean, I think like they to to their credit, they they tried in in spots. You know, it's there 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 were one off lines about you know the diversity of people in like in when he was being held captive, and you have you know nods to you know the people of these communities mm-hmm. are the ones who are actually suffering, and that it's as as an American weapons manufacturer, it's pretty much your fault. Yeah, right. But I think that there was like there was. The, the premise was like, look, this guy learns that he was doing a bad thing. And what it comes out as is like, okay, cool. The white guy saves us again. <laughs> sure. Hey. Tony Stark's still an asshole. <laughs> Tony Stark's now a, a more philanthropic asshole, but he's... Nope. Yeah, he's still a dick. Yeah. Um, you know what, dude? I don't know if you've read about her. I haven't read much about her myself, but uh, the newest Miss Marvel and incarnation she's uh i don't know how to pronounce her name kamala khan maybe she's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. stretchy she's muslim uh she's badass uh i i would be thrilled if at some point like the mcu was like yeah and uh hey no it's been about eight years but mm-hmm. uh we're gonna consider doing this we i feel like oh crap can we can we talk about Spider-Man Homecoming on this? Oh yeah, sure. Oh yeah, major spoiler alert. I mean, like, <laughs> here's the thing. By the time, th- so by the time this episode comes out, it'll be late August. Okay. So we're like, if you haven't seen Spider-Man Homecoming, either turn this off right now, go see the movie, and come back, or who are you? Sure. Like, why are you like? We talk about superheroes every other week on this show. Who are you? Okay. Um. But yeah, please. Right. Well, um. There's 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 a part where uh, Miles Morales is vaguely referenced in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know if that's necessarily a promise that he's going to be showing up or just fan service, but it really meant a lot to me. Uh, it really meant a lot. I remember my breath being taken away when that character was introduced in the comic books, and to have like Donald Glover, uh, who campaigned to be Spider Man, be the person or the actor uh, who got to help reference Miles Morales mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really touching. Um, it, it, they could have, it could have been a result of people in a boardroom going, you know, this will appeal to folks like Eric and shut down social justice warriors <laughs> and placate them for a while. They did exactly that. I was so thrilled with the idea that they were just open possibly to mm-hmm. a character like this existing in the same universe. Um, that's been dominated by, by straight white guys uh, for, for this whole time. Um, like references like that just give me hope that people like the new Miss Marvel can someday make an appearance that uh, we're not just going to see war machines and and falcons um, but you know maybe maybe Black Panther is just the start that's what I felt hearing that kind of reference in there and that's and that's what I'm ho- like I'm hopeful because I think I think that the new wave like a Marvel has found a way to make three movies a year that will make them billions and billions of dollars forever. Like (laughs) we're going to get a new star Wars movie and a new Marvel movie or two every year forever. Forever. This is what we're doing now. (laughs) And the forward, like the, the ones who are forward thinking 
know that they have maybe five more years mm-hmm. of the Avengers. Maybe. Like they've got they've got Infinity War Part One and Two, and after that, like people are gonna start losing interest. People already have started losing interest. And so you know, learning their audience, thinking about what people are interested in, starting over with like Spider-Man Homecoming took us back to Peter in high school, but didn't make us watch Uncle Ben die. Yeah. And they didn't make us, they didn't make us relearn what, like what Spider-Man's deal is. Like you got one line, the spider's dead, dude. Spider's dead. Like we like, it was, which was a really tactful way of yeah. dealing with that question. Um, Sure, but I think I think they're starting to look. They're starting to look down down the road to like seven years from now. It's like, okay, cool. What yeah. what scripts do we need to have in development so that we can have a super friends team that keeps going once, hopefully, the commentary of Iron Man and Captain America is less relevant. Sure. Yeah, man. Um, I, I'm excited for that too. I've heard whispers from uh, Marvel being like, we're gonna. We're gonna be very different after uh, the, these next two Avengers movies. I, I hope that means uh, there'll be space for more characters like Black Panther, uh, characters who are more diverse to show up. Uh, I love Iron Man. I love Captain America. They're, they're great. Um, but I, I really do. I hope they do what you're talking about. Just be ballsy enough and bold enough to take us in new directions the further we go forward with this franchise. Well, and give us more characters who have emotional depth. <laughs> yeah, like because I mean, I don't know about you. I thought, and I, I, I recently, I recently talked about this with uh, Rocky Daddy. We were talking about a uh, um, Civil War, yeah. and that what made that movie good was this actual, like this emotional investment. Like you have two characters moving in the same direction who are on the same side until they're not. Like yeah, you, you have, and you have these like layers on layers on layers of like, okay, like it's just hard. Like, it's just, it, it's hard to do the right thing all the time. It's hard to do the right thing with the people you want to do the right thing with. Yeah. And and it takes a lot of self-sacrifice. The writers made a really interesting call in being honest to Tony as a character at the end of that film. Mm. Rather than, like, because you could, it you know, in the world of we want everyone to be shiny and happy and the Super Friends team gets back together at the end of the day. It's tempting to just say, you know what, Tony's grown he's yeah. a bigger person at this point but at the end of that movie tony is not a bigger person no. tony is in bad shape yeah tony is heartbroken tony is reliving the loss of his parents oh, he God. is go- like he's he's lost touch with pepper he's in this awful he's losing his grasp on the avengers like all of the power that he had to do good yeah. and all of the emotional grounding that he had to like make that possible is falling away Absolutely. and you have this beautiful breaking point. And I think that they're finally opening, like they're they're after the resurgence of, you know, good TV after, after we had the explosion, <laughs> the Renaissance, the golden era of television in the early and uh, early two thousands and, 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 2000 teens are we calling them 2000 teens sure yeah um Sounds good. like we're entering i feel like we're finally entering back into a big picture writing renaissance cool. um i don't think like i i wouldn't say like we've had there have been amazing films put out over the last three decades like there's there's if you want good movies they're out there but that we're finally starting to see big ticket films that are embracing this emotional depth you know what man um i a hundred percent agree with how much I'd like to see that in movies going forward. Um, <laughs> this isn't exactly a spoiler for Homecoming, even mm. though you just gave everyone a warning. Um, one thing that I could have used more of in that film um, was having some thematic meat on its bones. Peter is super charming. He is super fun to watch. I laugh the whole movie. Just a delightful time. Mm-hmm. Um by the time that shit was over, um, it, it just felt like some of it evaporated on me. I I heard what he said. I heard the words that were like, someone's got to look out for the little guy, right? That hadn't really been the meat of the movie. There have been portions of the movie that dealt with that. Peter accidentally destroys a deli that his friend works in. Mm-hmm. And that's never really brought up again. I thought it would have been really interesting uh, to 
to explore the ground level consequences mm-hmm. of Avengers like fights with right. superheroics happening, um, and like seeing uh, people on the ground really grapple grapple with uh, what damage it does in their lives. I I expected the whole movie to really take the time to be like, oh my god, like I really I screwed up my friend's life. How am I going to fix this? I can't punch my way out of mm-hmm. the the irreparable damage I did to this guy's shop. Um, but it kind of kind of glosses over that, um, and you know, Peter he learns a bit. It's a little bit more about uh, restraint and maturity uh, rather than um, hey man, like I I know you guys have got a, a moral responsibility to handle these kinds of threats with your godly powers, and given where I am, I have a moral responsibility to handle uh, what's been happening here in Queens or, or Manhattan. Um, that ugh, I wish. The emotional depth that you're talking about had been like just more generously applied to this movie as much as I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I wonder if some of that was them leaning away. Like I, I, or, like I'm glad we didn't have to watch Uncle Ben die. <laughs> but I, I wonder if a lot of that was like they drew, they hinted at what Ame was going through. Yes, yes. You get a lot of nods to to the 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 mirrored broken father son relationship that's kind of between going on between Peter and Tony. I wonder if there was a, if at some version there was a draft that had a few more lines that were talking about that kind of like that kind of internal strife and the effect that it has in the world around us. When, when we let that spill out into, into the, into the, into the wider world. I don't know. Like, I think that one of the things I appreciated about the film was that they didn't, they didn't blow up New York again. Like I feel like <laughs> well, we've we've gotten we've got because because I feel like superhero movies is, have very rarely do we talk about the consequences. And I think the as much as I disliked the second Avengers movie, we talk about the consequences of Zakovia a lot. Yeah, sure. Like in the Marvel universe, sure. that's now a thing. Yeah, right on. Um, but that we don't talk about like we very rarely talk about the broader human cost of being a superhero yeah. um and and i i think that as much as as much as we we could have gone there more in spider-man i appreciate that at the very least they didn't they didn't do it on screen and then not address it you know Absolutely. we they, they were very conscious in like where you're where are you gonna put the plane when it comes down yeah. like you know it's like okay cool it's gonna be on an empty beach yeah <laughs> like we don't have to talk about we don't have to talk about how it leveled an apartment complex um, or, or we don't have to not talk about how it leveled an apartment complex. Um, and so, sure. and so I think that at the very, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get there a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seemed to really, uh, distance itself from being too heavy. It wanted to do kind of like a, they were really concerned, I think with bringing us things we hadn't seen before. And what have we seen? Like you've said, seeing Uncle Ben die for the 56th time, eh, don't need that. We've seen Spider-Man brood. Uh, we've seen every villain but the Vulture. Uh, so they were they were charting a new course. A Marvel movie formula is essentially, you know, let's all have a good time. So they leaned on that, and uh, Tom Tom Holland uh, and, and the screenwriters did a, a great job of making this movie feel very char- charming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the director... But it, I guess, like, they just weren't interested necessarily in going to dark emotional depths because we have been there for the past, I don't know, two to four movies. That's a liberal, liberal, liberal use of that number. Uh, yeah. But uh, some of those movies beforehand had, had been pretty, pretty fucking heavy. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's why they avoided it. I just, I'd like to see maybe in the Homecoming sequel him grapple with something a little more meaty. Than he did this time around. Mm-hmm. Well, especially, and I think they they teed us up for that. Um, like they teed us up for a film where May is dealing with knowing that Peter is Spider Man. Yeah. Where they, they teed us up for a film where he has to deal with. Like we got to the end of the movie, and he doesn't really have to. Like you see him begin to deal with the human consequences yeah. of making the right decision. Yeah. yeah, but we don't. But but now he's in a position where that like that cost is going to be something that weighs on his decision-making in the future. Um, And I think I'm hoping that I, I I hope that audiences are worth the credit of 
you know, here's, here's a more complicated approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Spider-Man was just a, a smile a minute movie. And I'm sure Marvel knows that that's the safest way to go. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, man, you get a civil war and you're like, oh, God, right. These characters, like if you wanted to, you could punch everyone in the gut with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you have to choose between those two things. Yeah. And I hope they can find some kind of synthesis moving forward. Well, I mean, bringing it back, how much when you when you're thinking about writing when you're thinking about writing plot, how much how much is it a balance of like giving the audience credit to follow along and go there with you and keeping us in bounds? So how do you in your work you know balance that audience? audience intent with with where you want to go dude uh good question i wish i had a sophisticated answer for you i just write for myself there you go hey man what else can you do (laughs) it's a really important question and i'm sure another writer would give you a really in-depth really insightful response i just i write what i'm tired of not seeing Mm -hmm. uh and i just take it from there uh so i all my complaints I just gave you about Homecoming. I mean, I, I love that movie. It was really, it was a warm hug, you know? Uh, and I could use more of those right now, for That's sure. True. There's a place for that stuff. It's great. Um, but I, I don't try to balance a goddamn thing. I just, <laughs> I just blurt out what I'm most frustrated about. And I take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, but that's—I mean—it's important to know. Like, that's an important thing to to be able to say. Like, you gotta—if yeah. you're writing for you, you're, you're writing for you. And man, at the end of the day, who else? Who else is there to write for? Thanks, Bruno. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Do you write yourself? I um, I have. Uh, I do more. I do improv work. Oh, cool. Um, so I I don't do. I, I should do more writing. Um, I know that I should do more writing, if only because it helps to flush out that space so that I have more of it in my head. But, um, I, I can do character building. Like I do, I I don't know. And I'm trying to get into the habit of, of for me, the hardest part is just the act of writing, like putting it on tape is easy. Like it's the, it's the writing part. So I, you know, I keep telling myself I'm going to set up the mic and like, you know, at least twice a week for 20 minutes, just, talk a character or find or, or, or flesh out a bit of a world or something like that. But, um, yeah, that's a long way of saying no, but I should. <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever you get back around to it, uh, it, it sounds like we need more people like you in the industry, man. I would, I would deeply appreciate, um, professionals taking the type of time you seem to take and making characters fleshed out. Um, it just, it, we need you. We need you in the game. So whenever you want to talk about it ever on a podcast off of it, uh, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts. And I, I'm sure I could learn a lot from that myself. That sounds like a really awesome process. Thanks, dude. Yeah, man. Thanks. That's our episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find out more about Eric at applyingtoeverything.xyz slash guests. You can also follow him on Twitter at EAGlove. And keep an eye out for his feature-length script, Blackstar, first place winner in sci-fi in the 2016 Final Draft Big Break Screenwriting Contest. You can find out more about the show at applyingtoeverything.xyz. We're on iTunes and Google Play, where you can subscribe to, rate, and review the show. I'd like to thank Humble Fire for the use of our theme song, Mount St. Misery, off of The Great Resolve. Available on iTunes, Spotify, and at humblefire.band. I'd also like to thank Chiara Scarcella for designing our logo. Tune in next week for my conversation with Chiara about design, baking, and why we make art. Talk to you then.